All of the resources that we've ever used as a civilization have come from the same place. All the energy, the fuels, minerals, metals, construction materials, the water, the air that you're breathing right now. Every resource that we've ever used has come from the same place, Earth. Now, this actually presents a severe problem because when we study biological history, we very quickly see that anytime there's a dominant species in a finite ecosystem, consuming a limited amount of resources, that species will collapse. Now, that collapse usually begins at 50%. Now, here's the scary part. There's seven billion people on this planet. We are the dominant species, and we have converted 43% of the available landmass on Earth. If we expand our view and we look out into space, we see that all the resources we hold of value here at home, energy, fuels, metals, water, are available in nearly infinite quantities in our solar system. What if there's a way we could use those resources to prevent the collapse of our civilization? Welcome to Moonshot, the show exploring the world's biggest ideas and the people making them happen. I'm Christopher Lawson. And I'm Andrew Moon. Now, you've been listening to a TEDx talk given by James Orsalak at the start of 2018. In it, he makes the case for why we need to look to broader horizons for the resources that we need to survive as the human race. We have proven again and again that we know how to destroy an environment. Now it's time for us to prove that we can save it. Having enough money to keep a roof over our heads, our families fed, and live a good life is one of the biggest stresses people face. But as James touched on, there's something far more pressing coming. That's the reality that Mother Nature's bank account could not too far off be in the red, putting our problems on the back burner. Years ago, people believed space travel was impossible. But now that we've been there, done that... The next crazy idea is mining space for the resources that will save Earth's ecosystem, our global economies, and enable our species to keep growing. But is success mining far-flung planets within our reach? Or will our money just disappear into space? All that and much more is coming right up. So we'll we'll go over here, um, and this is the the meteorite I was talking about. Cool. And, well, it's a cool, it's a cool showpiece because everyone, you know, you see it and it looks like this giant doorstop, which it is. Um, but it's it's a good example of these are what we're looking at. It was, in fact, this is kind of the one that fully inspired me, to be honest. This is Brad Tucker. He's an astrophysicist at the Australian National University in Canberra, Australia, and he really, really loves asteroids. Here, this is the fragment of an asteroid that has landed on Earth. You can see visually what these things are. It, it, this, this isn't uh, dramatically out there. You know, they are magnetic chunks of metal. That's all they are. Um, why not take advantage of that? Brad is the founder of the Australian Asteroid Mining Mission, or A2M2, a project aiming to mine asteroids and then bring those resources back to Earth. And, and the cool thing about, you know, asteroid mining is there's potential that, you know, you can make sure that if you're reducing the use of our natural resources on Earth, that's helping, you know, how we're, we're operating here on Earth. We're still improving everyday lives. We can, you know, if you have a whole bunch of extra nickel and lithium, you can reduce the cost of reusable batteries. That means energy storage is cheaper. That means, you know, we're reducing CO2 emissions. 
ultimately the problem, not every problem, but a lot of the problems we have here is resource driven. We need more resources and we need them better, cleaner and more efficient. And how do we do that? Looking off this earth is not as dramatic as it seems. When you think of a traditional mine, billions of dollars often get poured into finding the right location and then building the necessary infrastructure, all before the point of actually extracting anything from the ground. Generally, the plan is to offset all those initial costs by mining enough resources to make the entire endeavour worthwhile. But when it comes to mining in space, we're talking about going through that entire scoping, construction, mining and exploration process outside of Earth's atmosphere. And those in the industry say this is actually the advantage of space mining, in that you can use those resources to further our exploration of the universe without having to waste time and money by sending them up in a rocket. Most companies when they talk about space mining is gathering you know, resources from either the moon or asteroids. And perhaps, you know, when you usually think of mining, you think of, you know, digging up precious metals and that there is some element to that. This is Lauren Grush. Lauren is a senior science reporter at The Verge and specifically is focused on all things space. Digging up minerals is uh, on the agenda for some of these companies, but the biggest component I would say is harvesting water from these different space rocks because water can be broken apart into its constituent parts and that could be used as rocket fuel uh, to fuel future spacecraft. How important is this concept of space mining to the success of other projects like, uh, you know, Elon sending people to Mars or NASA uh, trying to uh, like open up and commercialize uh, the rest of space? Right. I think it's crucial. And a lot of people I've talked to believe that as well, because it just takes so much money and energy to get supplies into space. So if we are able to utilize the resources that are already in space, that saves us a lot of effort to get all of our supplies that we need to do more ambitious space missions like going to Mars or creating you know, a vibrant commercial economy. We don't have to send everything up from Earth, which is really difficult because, you know, we have a really big gravity well, but if we can go to space, you know, harvest the resources there and then bring them to where we need them in space, that will make things a lot easier and cheaper and less complex. When we look at what it would take to build one of these mines, there's a very real problem that becomes evident, and that's the cost of even getting to the point where we can mine anything at all. It's common knowledge that anything involving space is an expensive endeavour. We've talked about that on Moonshot before. So who will actually be able to dig up enough cash to make all of this a reality? Yeah, it's kind of tough to say just because it's a really volatile industry that's just now starting out. So there's a lot of dust that's in the air that we're not and we're not sure how it's all going to settle. This is Mike Wall, a senior writer at Space.com. I mean, this is a brand new industry, right? So um, it's just really speculative at this point. But probably the most prominent one is actually um, planetary resources. That's the one that made the biggest splash when it was first announced uh, yeah, yeah, four or five years ago. Um, and it's got a lot of high-profile backers, I mean, billionaire backers. And they're, yeah, they, they've actually launched a couple of, of sort of trial spacecraft um, that are testing out instruments in Earth orbit. So, um, like, I would have to say, as far as the asteroid miners go, they're probably in the lead because they've actually, like, sent spacecraft into orbit and are testing stuff out in space. They plan to, to actually launch spacecraft to asteroids to do, like, up-close scouting of potentially good mining targets 
in the relatively near future. I mean, maybe in the next couple of years or so. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Planetary Resources, which was founded in 2010, actually raised close to 50 million US dollars from the likes of billionaire Google co-founder Larry Page, and also Eric Schmidt, who served as Google's CEO and then chairman of Google's parent company Alphabet, before he stepped down earlier this year. The company was incredibly bullish on the idea of mining in space. But despite sending some probes into space, they've recently struggled to get more funding and actually put a bunch of their research equipment up for auction although the auction was actually postponed at the last minute. I reached out to Planetary Resources for an interview way back in June, and we've been talking about trying to find a time to schedule something, but unfortunately, despite indicating that they would do an interview before our deadline, they didn't actually respond with potential times or dates for the interview. But if they do decide to talk to us, we'll bring that interview to you as a bonus episode. In addition to planetary resources, there's also Deep Space Industries, who shared the same grand vision of extracting resources from outside the Earth. We reached out to them for an interview, but we were told they're now shifting their focus to helping private companies, government agencies and academic institutions execute low-cost missions. Or in other words, they're focusing on exploration rather than mining, because it's simply much easier to make money in that area at this point in time. Do you think the concept of creating a, a mine in space is just like too big and too expensive for one individual company to approach? Potentially, yeah. It's going to take a lot of startup costs, right? Like this is a very complex infrastructure that will that you need to get started. Uh, and then once you know you've perfected it, it will hopefully bring costs down. But yeah, it's going to take a lot of up, you know upfront cost, and I think that's just a lot for a technology that no one's ever really done before. Now, Brad Tucker told me that he has around 100 people working on his mining mission across Australia, including astrophysicists, lawyers, economists, policy engineers, and flight technicians. And he's planning to take an incremental approach to the entire mining process, which he says will reduce the overall cost and complexity of the mission. Yeah, look, I mean, and this is why I think we're taking bite-sized chunks um, that, you know, 10 years down the road when we're fully mining asteroids, yeah, it's a $100 million mission to do it. Um, But to build an instrument to map the asteroids, that's a couple million dollars. Uh, We actually already have that money in place to start developing it. We want to fly this part of the mission in two to three years. Uh, What that means then uh, is that if we can do it and we can demonstrate it to mining companies on Earth, they become more investors which gives us a larger pool of money. Then we can tackle the second part is how do we move an asteroid? Yes, you heard that right. Brad actually wants to move an asteroid. Once they find the right one, he wants to go and drag it closer to Earth with one great big magnet. And then they'll mine it remotely with robots. Now we're not going to move a giant asteroid, but you can develop a prototype, we believe, for $10 million to move a small asteroid. Um, then we demonstrate that technology works, and then we have a full, you know, mission that needs to become more than just a group here. We've, we've always viewed this as hopefully this becomes a main Australian space agency mission. You're not going to outset that $200 million that's needed to build a prototype to steer an entire asteroid and start mining it in, in situ. You're going to need to do it incrementally. And, and I think it's and again, this is where I think things have gone wrong before, is you say, 
it's a two, three, four hundred dollar mission, million dollar mission, and let's just go build it. But you got to demonstrate all these other things before that ends up being there. And it ends up being then you have costs overrun, the mission overruns. You know, you, astronomy has had a bad track record with some of these. Why not just bring the asteroids, the smaller ones, back to Earth and mine them here? That is one of the exact missions we're looking at. Um, to a T. I say I want to bring an asteroid back and they're like, everyone's that's crazy. It's not. It, it, it really is not that crazy because instead of all that cost of infrastructure in space, we just bring it back down. That is literally one of the mission profiles. And this is the thing that we're really taking is we're not saying this is the one way we have to do it. Let's look at all of the options. Let's work all the logistics, all of the technicalities through, all the demonstrations through with it and figure out what is the best model. It might be, it will probably be multiple. And I do the example of there's not one rocket, right? We have multiple types of rocket depending on the purpose. You know, New Zealand with rocket labs is small rockets for small satellites. There's not one solution because it's such a big problem. And I think in the future, this is what asteroid mining is. So why not try and bring some of this stuff back? I, I completely agree. You can literally land an asteroid and you have the resources here. And then you have the iron here and whatever else it comes up with. And then you just process it like you normally do. So you would save a lot of money of setting it up in space. So, you know, I, when I say I want to start figuring out how to land some of these back down on Earth, people laugh at me or, you know, not laugh. I think it's a more of a supervillain type idea. But what we, we have to be open about it. As crazy as some of this stuff seems, if we, if we do not do due diligence and consider it and map it out, we haven't done our job right. And we'll have more of our story on space mining right after this break. Welcome back to Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson, and while we've been talking about the concept of space mining, a lot of our focus has actually been on asteroids, and you could be forgiven for not exactly knowing what an asteroid is or how they're different to meteors. The truth is you've probably experienced the concept of asteroids in popular culture, from news, here's the asteroid story, to cartoons, four minutes to impact, video games, and even in movies. It was called Orpheus, the meteor. That meteor is five miles wide and it's definitely gonna hit us. Now meteors are actually fragments of asteroids that enter the Earth's atmosphere and leave a streak of bright flame as they go, or what's more commonly known as shooting stars. If one of these fragments actually survives the trip to Earth, it's known as a meteorite, And while many of the meteors that enter our atmosphere are quite small, there are many examples of larger meteorites that have been discovered, the largest of which spans around 6.5 metres and weighs 66 tonnes. If we go back a few hundred years, scientists actually believed at one point that there might have been a planet between Mars and Jupiter. That later turned out to be an asteroid. Giuseppe Piazzi was the man who thought he was onto something. 
But what he found in 1801 was too small to be a planet. It's not a planet! Hey! It's not a planet! And instead it turned out what he discovered was actually a large asteroid, which he called Ceres. Asteroids can range in size from just a few metres or less in diameter right through to Ceres, which has a radius of 473 kilometres and is the largest object in the asteroid belt which sits between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. And there are millions of asteroids in the asteroid belt, which means they don't get an awful lot of attention. But say like Brad, you wanted to go into space and start a space mining operation... Who technically owns the asteroids and the materials that you extract from them? The moon and other celestial bodies shall be used exclusively for peaceful purposes. This is an arms control measure. You've probably heard of the concept of international waters, and it turns out it's a similar idea in space. The Outer Space Treaty was signed in 1967 by Russia, the UK and the United States, and it stated that outer space would not belong to any individual country and that everyone should be allowed to explore it. But those laws were written at a time when only a handful could really afford to pursue space, and they haven't really changed in the last 50 years. They also didn't really cover the new wave of private companies that have set their sights on exploring the solar system. The Space Act will help. This bill will unite law with innovation, allowing the next generation of pioneers to experiment, learn, and succeed without being constrained by premature regulatory action. It ensures that anyone or anything impacted by flights or flight experiments are protected. In 2015, new legislation was introduced in America called the Commercial Space Launch Competitiveness Act, giving clear guidelines to private US space firms affirming their right to keep and sell the resources that they mine in space. You still can't own an entire asteroid, but whatever you scrape off that asteroid, you can keep it and you can sell it. There's still some debate over whether or not that falls in line with the Outer Space Treaty, and I'm sure there are other countries that might be a little incensed at that prospect, Um, but that was a big step for the U.S. to say, we support this type of space industry and we'll, you know, back you up if you want to go out and, and collect something from space. Now, we've been mining for centuries on our planet. Everything from lithium that goes in your phone battery, right through to gold, copper, and even platinum, all comes from mines that we've built on Earth. But as our global population expands, the need for more supplies only grows. Things that we find rare and expensive here on Earth are in practically infinite quantities in space. Within these asteroids are the very materials necessary to support the lives and livelihoods of future space travelers. Many companies are actually hoping to mine for water and then use that supply for drinking and to create rocket fuel. But Brad and his team are looking specifically to mine valuable and rare substances that can be brought back to Earth. So what is he hoping to start mining for in the first mission? Early on, it looks like nickel. I mean, nickel, and and this again, it depends interestingly where the market is, but there's a lot of nickel. There's some lithium, but there's a lot of nickel in these asteroids. And so even a small amount of, uh, a small asteroid will have a huge amount of nickel in it, um, which we know is quite important now. I think we are looking towards the the platinum, the gold, the rhodium, some of these more rare minerals uh, that are 
not running out, but just hard to find on Earth. Uh, there's interesting questions of what do we do with the iron? There is just so much iron, but you, it is, there's no model that we can figure out so far that it's worth bringing this iron back. Brad and his team are hoping that by carving up these asteroids in space, they'll be able to extract enough value to make the whole endeavour worthwhile. But the concept of mining the resources of space isn't without contention. If companies decided to go after lunar resources, it raises the question around the ethics of mining one of the most visible celestial objects. And Brad's take on that issue of who owns what in space? He says that's exactly why he's focused on asteroids and not mining other planets or even their moons. He says there's just so many asteroids out there that they don't hold any real meaning in our minds. There are literally millions out there. And it's just one of those numbers that there's so many, you know, when they say it's astronomical, it's, there's just so many, we've just kind of like, eh, there's a lot. I mean, it's, it's not an infinite supply, but you can almost at this point in time treat it as an infinite supply. Um, and it's naive, I think, and, and, and almost um, wrong not to consider it as an option, right? You're not talking about just mining on the moon or Mars. You're talking about an infinite supply. And unlike the moon or Mars, no one cares about asteroids. I, you know, that, that's a wrong way to say it, but I, there's a lot of ethical questions when we talk about mining stuff in space, especially dealing anything with the moon and Mars and some of the other solar systems or the, the other the planetary systems like Jupiter and, and, and Saturn. But asteroids have this thing where they're kind of dis- indescript. They're kind of nameless. Um, there, there's still some ethical questions I think we need to ask, but they're, they're just, there's not much point. I mean, who owns asteroids? No one. That's the thing. There, there's no one owner of it. And so, the, you know, the agreement has always been that, you know, we, they're the, it's again, it's that peaceful exploration of space. And that's why these, this new negotiation of the treaties and laws needs to happen is, I agree stuff on like the moon and Mars is completely different. Uh, and I think we need a very big question about how do we tackle what we do on the moon and Mars in the future. But the asteroids are, 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 are genuinely different. Um, they have a different role. It's not like you would do anything that would affect any view of us here on Earth. There is very little thing there's very little th- things that you can do to an asteroid that would change how we view both ourselves and the world. Not the same with the moon and Mars, um, but with asteroids, it is. I mean, literally, every time you see that thing falling to the sky, it's in an asteroid, part of an asteroid that's burned up that you never knew about, right? I mean, so it's, you know, and this is where having these updates and treaties and stuff like that is an important part of this equation. There are some people who think it's no big deal. Um, that like it's totally fine for a private company to go and and like extract resources from an asteroid or from the moon and sell it. This is Mike Wall again. That that's not like actually forbidden by the 1967 Outer Space Treaty, which is sort of the law of the land and, and all this stuff. Yeah, that's the sort of dominant mindset that that most of these companies take, obviously, because they they like think they can do what they're what what they want to do, and and that's the mindset that like the United States has actually taken. I mean, Congress passed a law a couple of years ago, basically saying, like, this is fine. These like companies can do this. Um, but that's just one country. And obviously, space is not just one country. There, there, there are countries all over the world who like have a, a keen interest in this and um, like will be affected by this. So, so there are some nations and, and some folks in like other nations don't 
like necessarily sign on to this and think that private companies don't have that right. And like, will they challenge that in, in some court, like the international court, how will this all play out? That's, that's going to be a really interesting aspect of this whole thing. Um, as we see some of these space resources actually being extracted and sold there, that could be like some objections from, from various nations around the world. Yeah. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. The first trillionaire they'll ever be is the person who mines asteroids for their natural resources. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson speaking with Popular Mechanics in 2015. And more recently, in 2017, Business Insider said that Goldman Sachs had sent out a report saying that they were bullish on the idea of space mining. Then this year, US Senator Ted Cruz, who is chair of the US Senate Commerce Committee Subcommittee on Space Science and Competitiveness, told Politico that the first trillionaire would be made in space, although he didn't know exactly how yet. If Brad and his team can actually pull this whole space mining project off, they could all become incredibly wealthy, perhaps on a scale that we've never even seen before. And unlike on Earth, if you can figure out the process, the supplies in space are almost infinite. Every time you see a meteor, um, the blue-green, that blue-green colour you see, is iron and nickel burning up. So every time you see one of those puddles, you see evidence of iron and green. When you see yellow, you see sodium. When you see orange, you see some of the nickel and some of the oxygen. You see literally with our own eyes the fragments that are coming into the earth and know that there are the, these resources on that thing. Um, and, you know, from sheer numbers alone, there's uh, every day there's... Um, 200 tons worth of stuff that hit the earth. Now, most of it burns up and most of this is fragments, but um, there's a lot of junk out there. Do you think people are just sort of like looking at, at those meteorites coming in, seeing the, the blue-green color and thinking, oh, there's some, there's some dollar signs there. <laughs> I do now. <laughs> I just hear ching, ching. No. Many thanks to our guests in this episode, especially Brad Tucker and his team at the Australian National University, who let me spend a day with them at the Mount Stromlo Observatory. Also thanks to Mike Wall from Space.com. He has a book coming out in November. It's called Out There, A Scientific Guide to Alien Life, Antimatter and Human Space Travel. And also thanks to Lauren Grush from The Verge. You can check out her work on TheVerge.com. She's got a great video series called Spacecraft that's definitely worth a look. Moonshot is a production of Lawson Media and it's hosted by me, Christopher Lawson, and also Andrew Moon. Research for this episode by our intern, Caroline Ho. Our amazing cover artwork is by Andrew Millist and our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can send us your feedback or ideas to moonshot at lawson.media. And if you love the first episode of our new season, make sure you share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. We hope you continue to join us on our new season. We'll be publishing every week on Wednesdays. So stay tuned for more episodes of Moonshot. Moonshot.